Actually, for the message, I've had to trust in God because I didn't get it until last night. Um, sometimes you meditate on the word all week and the Lord gives you a message and well, this is surely the message for the church this week. And then you get in other conversations and you take it to prayer. And, um, and the Lord kept saying to me, don't worry, James, just trust. Just trust me. Trust me. I'm trusting him. Amen. So this morning's message is called Trust in God. Will you stand for the reading of God's word? We're in Mark chapter 4, verse 35 through verse 41. Mark chapter 4, verse 35 through verse 41. Now, on the same day when evening had come, he, Jesus, said to them, let us cross over to the other side. Now, when they'd left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was. And other boats, little boats were there, followed them. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into that boat, so it was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him, and they said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Then he, Jesus, arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. The wind ceased, and there was a great calm. But he said to them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? Lord, we thank you for this short passage. And my prayer this morning, Lord, is as I trusted you with the message that I will continue to trust you by your Holy Spirit. I pray, Lord, you open the ears of your people. And for those who are not professing your name yet, will be able to hear, Lord. Abba, Father, we invite the Holy Spirit here. He's more than welcome in this place. Business of the week, may we put it at the foot of the cross. Lord, what is it you want to say to us? Give us a hunger and a desire and an openness, Lord. Let's hear this passage afresh. What is the Spirit saying to the church in the days in which we're living? Lord, may we seek after you in all of our things. We ask this in Jesus' name. God's people said, Amen, Amen. Please be seated. Now, at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, it began there in Nazareth. We read about this in Luke chapter 4, that Jesus walks into the synagogue and the elder there hands in the scroll of Isaiah and Jesus turns to that famous passage and he reads about the Spirit of the Lord is upon him. This is one of the lines which he says. He says, he, God, has sent me to heal the brokenhearted and to proclaim liberty to the captives. Let me say that again. Jesus is saying that God has sent him to heal the brokenhearted and to proclaim liberty 
to the captive. This is a part of the messianic mission of Jesus of Nazareth. Now, a major cause for brokenness in our society today, which is well recognized, is this terrible word called stress. Stress, okay? Oh, let me ask you, have you ever been stressed? I ask you, when was the last time that you were stressed? This morning, maybe. I don't know. Were you stressed this morning about something? Now, according to the American Institute of Stress, I wonder if it's stressful to work there. Listen to this. 120,000 people die each year with work-related stress. 120,000 people die of stress. Now, what exactly is stress? I mean, you might say it's your children. You might say it's your mum. You might say whatever it is, your dog, your family, your work situation. But what actually is stress? Now, a doctor defined it like this. And it's so interesting. He said, it's the wear and tear of the personality being pulled out, being fragmented. It's the wear and tear of the personality, which, if uncorrected, can result in physical or mental breakdown. I'm going to read that again because it's so powerful. Stress is the wear and tear of the personality, your person, which, if uncorrected, can result in physical breakdown or a mental breakdown. Now, another doctor put it like this. He measures it in terms of units. So somebody deals with stress, okay? Simply to put it like this, a little change is good, too much change too fast is bad, okay? This is how he's going to measure it, okay? And here is a unit example. These are things which cause people stress, and here are the units, okay? A death of a loved one. Creates a hundred units. Divorce, 73 units. Pregnancy, 40 units, all you new mums. Moving home, 25 units. Christmas, 12 units. That's a lot of stress, okay? Now, the doctor concluded this. No one can handle more than 300 units of stress in a 12-month period without suffering physical or emotional breakdown during the next two years, if this is unaddressed. So you can have stress now, you could have lost a loved one, and it can come back to bite you a year later or two years later. Now, I can say this, I'll openly admit this here, I didn't really feel the effects of my father's death till much later. Why was that? Uh, well, that year, if you remember, there was, it was 2020, it was lockdown. Um, Christmas was coming up. I just got married. No disrespect, Charles. But it's stressful. My dad had passed away. And it really caught up with much later. We can keep going and keep going. And it's that great British thing. And it's stiff up a little. Just keep going. But eventually, there could be emotional or physical breakdown. 
So let me ask you, please don't tell me though, how stressed do you feel on a week-to-week basis? How much stress do you feel in your life? Now listen, all of this which I've just laid down is purely from a human perspective. Okay? This is what Jesus said. All things are possible with God. With God, all things are possible. Amen? If we remain in God and in the Holy Spirit. Okay? So, will you turn with me to Matthew chapter 11? I bring this up of stress because I know so many people who are stressed out, who are Christians, and feel somewhat embarrassed about the fact they should be trusting in God and they should be turning up to church or rather smiling, which people tend to do until you get a phone call or a few conversations later on in that week. So I'm just trying to deal with the reality here. This is the problem. Here's the solution. Amen? We want solutions, yeah? Now look, what Matthew, um, Jesus says in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 11, verse 28 to 30. This is a well-known verse. So you're going to have to pay special attention because we know it so well. I'm going to read it from a slightly different translation from the NLT, okay? Jesus said this. He said, Come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you. Because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. Now, we all know this verse very well. But in this, there's three instructives, very clear instructions. First one is, come to me. The second is, take my yoke upon you, which means to be joined with me, be in communion with me. And the third one is, let me teach you. We're the students, and he is the teacher. Amen? That's the order. Okay? Now, with those three instructive comes two promises. The first is, I will give you rest. And you will find rest for your souls. I'm the one that gives you rest, if you're stressed. And you'll find rest for your soul. Now, the soul in Hebraic thinking is your whole being. Your mind, your physical body, your soul, your spirit, everything about you. But let me just say the instructions again. Jesus says, come to me. Take my yoke upon you. Be joined with me. Be yoked with me. And let me teach you. He has to become the teacher in your life. So often the people called him good teacher. After the resurrection, most people called him Lord. You see, they realized who he was. We have to have a realization of exactly whom Jesus is and his desire to teach us. Okay? So today's message is called Trusting God. So let's look at our passage then in Mark chapter 4, verse 35. This is a preemptive stress release before Christmas. Now, 
verse 35, and I'm somewhat using this as a, as a springboard to expound a little further. Now, on the same day when evening come, he said to them, the disciples, let us cross over to the other side. You see, Jesus wants to take them on a journey. The Christian life is really, there's the destination, of course, heaven, but it's a journey. You suddenly don't just join a church or even get baptized or commit to Jesus and say, well, I'm in now, I'm done, I'm finished, I'm complete. It's a journey that Jesus wants to take you on. And he's saying to the disciples, let us cross over to the other side. Let us go further than where you've been. Does anyone here desire to go further with Jesus? Remember the instructives. You've got to come to him. Be yoked with me. Be joined with me. Let me teach you. He's saying, let me teach you. Just do what I say. He's saying, follow me. Okay, it's very simple. So how does one make spiritual progress? Now, let's have a look first in the book of Hebrews. Okay, Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. Now, from a personal point of view and experience, I would say this. All spiritual progress in the Christian life is by faith. Everything is by faith, okay? And we're going to find out what faith is. Now, we're going to read just maybe three passages in here. Now, Hebrews verse, uh, chapter 11, verse 1 says this. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Okay, so I was going to expound that a little bit. This is what faith is. Faith is the substance. The Greek word means the assumed position. This is what you believe, and it also means mental realization. So your faith is the assumed position. This is what I believe. I've professed Christ. This is what I believe in my mind. And now, with the things that I believe, the things that I read, I'm now hoping for the evidence of things which I haven't seen yet. You get that? For example, Abraham left his home, left his inheritance, left his family, left everything behind because he was, had the assurance that it was God speaking to him. It's very desperate that we have the assurance. If you really are a believer here this morning, you should be able to say with full assurance, I trust in God. Whether you are or not, we'll get to that in a, in a moment. But you should say, well, I trust him. I take him or should take him at his word. I, I believe his word up for my salvation. Therefore, I need to believe him with everything else that he said. Why? Because he's faithful and he's trustworthy and he's already proven himself true. Therefore, we have hope for things we haven't even seen yet because of the character of God and how trustworthy and faithful he has been, okay? Now, I know through experience 
Uh, if Chelsea says, I'm going to make a beef stew and it's going to be ready at five, it's going to be ready at five. Because she's normally hungrier than I am. No, it's because based on experience of almost three years of marriage now, what she says, she does, okay? And that's wonderful. Because I know I have a faithful wife who says she's going to do something, and she does it. So it's based on that. Look in verse 3. By faith, so that's the assumed position, the mental realization. By faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. Now, I believe that God created the heavens and the earth. I know there's other people who don't believe that. And I'm not embarrassed by the fact that I believe God created the heavens and the earth. I think there's enough evidence out there. I don't feel embarrassed by my position. There's been plenty of intelligent men and women who've believed these things. Okay? So, that the things which are seen were not made by things which are visible. I believe there is a God. I believe that he created the heavens and the earth. And I believe there's a man called Jesus Christ who walked the earth. I believe he's born of, of a virgin. I believe that he died on the Roman cross and he raised again on the third day and everything ascended to heaven. And I, based on that, I know he's coming again, okay? And this is all by faith. And we need that faith in the time which we're living. It's not a false hope. It's not a blind faith. It's based on something. You understand? If you've experienced God, which I'm sure many of you have, you know that he is real, and one of the other reasons you know he's real is by his word. He's declared himself and shown himself in his word. We must get back, I think, as believers, more into the Bible, more into the word of God. What does God say? Well, I think, we're not worried about what you think. I'm not worried about what I think. What does God say? What's he already said? It's, it's getting more vital now because I think many Christians are relying on their emotions and being a uh, manipulated by society and everything, feelings and everything else. We have those things, but we, as I always say, not to be governed by them. It's the word of God that governs us. Because our feelings can change within minutes, can't it? So we need to get back to, well, everyone's got a view at the moment, aren't they, in the Middle East? The, well, the, well, what's God said? What about my salvation? Well, what has God said? Well, what about marriage? Well, what has God said? What about homosexuality? What has God said? What's he? Well, he's not going to change. He's already said it. You see what I mean? That's faith. Now let's have a look in verse 6, Hebrews. Now, without faith, without the assumed position, without that mental realization, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God, remember God says, Jesus, come to me, must believe that he is who he says he is. Now, he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. We must believe in who he says he is. He says, I'm a God of judgment. He's a God of judgment. He says, I'm a God of righteousness. He's a God of righteousness. He said, I'm going to judge the heavens and the earth. He's going to judge the heavens and the earth based on his word. And the wonderful thing is about our assumed position is that God doesn't change. He remains the same. There's stability there in our lives. But what does God say? And you're not going to move his opinion, by the way. You can cry. You can shout. You can jump up and down, as my dad used to say, and cry about it. 
My dad never changed his mind. Did he, mum? And neither does God, okay? And you can do anything. But my, in my house, dad's word was final. That was it. And God's word is final. Amen? That can create trust in us. If God was flickering around with, oh, well, we're not sure about this and that, and he's changing his mind, you're not going to trust this man. You're not going to trust Jesus as he comes along. Jesus never changed, and that's a wonderful thing. Now, look, there's a few things here about spiritual progress for those who've got pen and paper. The first is for you to grow spiritually, okay, is to connect and commit is the first one. The second is to study. The third is obedience. And the fourth is practice. Okay, let me expound these a bit. If one wants to grow spiritually, they must connect and commit to a Bible-believing church or fellowship. You have to do it. There is no other way. Okay? You want to grow as a Christian. If you want to be a good footballer, you need to join a football team. You need to be challenged. You can't keep the ball against the wall all day long and thinking you're really good. You join a team and you realize how rubbish you are. Okay? This is, I used to kick the ball against the wall when I was back home. I thought I was great. Okay? Until I played with... Well, other guys, I realized I was quite rubbish, okay? And that's the same in the Christian life. We need to come in and fellowship with one another and be changed and transformed. And this is not only an act of obedience, but it's a good way for us to grow. Number one is to study the Word of God. And I realize, because I speak with several of you, find it hard to study, to read, to study, or to find time, okay? And I get that. However, a recent study has just come out about how many people now are listening to books, audio books, okay? And I've said this for years. Stick on the Bible in the background. Do your cooking, do your driving, whatever. Have it on in the back. I, this week I've had the Bible on the old school King James Version by Alexander Scorpio. It's fantastic. Coming to church, I was listening about, about Daniel, okay? And learning some good old English words along with it. But just having it there constantly, washing you, cleansing you. I think it's a fantastic thing to have on. Do any of you have that? Keep it going. And I'll tell you one thing, it really helps with those Old Testament names. Yeah? The long ones, okay? Everyone pretends that they know. I remember speaking at a Bible study about audiobooks, but oh, I don't do that. And then we read a passage from the Old Testament, no one could pronounce anything, Okay? So I think I've proved myself right there. Have the audio Bible. It's not an embarrassing thing. Most Christians that have ever existed have never read the Bible. Do you realize that? They couldn't read or write. We're very privileged to have it all. So use it. Obedience to the word. Think of the Roman centurion, a man of faith, isn't he? And he came to Jesus for the healing of his um, servant. He said this. He said, I say to my um, soldiers, go, and he goes. And I say to them, come, and he comes. And he says, do this, and he does this. Okay? When Jesus tells you to do something, it's a really good bit of advice. Just do it. Just, well, I'm not sure what to do. Just, just do what he said. Just do it literally. Yeah, literally. Not everything literally. Okay? You can read about Clement and Oregon. They did some things literally. Don't do that. Um, but otherwise, take him at his word and be obedient. The fourth one is practice. Practice these things of worship. This is your Christian practice. Are you a practicing Christian? Yeah. Worship. Have worship music on. 
Pray, meditate, and be open about your faith. Be open to be challenged about your faith. You don't need to know all the answers. This is how you're going to grow spiritually. You're going to get mental exercise. It's always easy when it's a monologue. But have conversations with people. If you want to progress, just a little change is needed. Just a little bit. You don't have to learn everything all in one weekend. Just a little change, no stress, just those three instructors. Come to me, be joined with me, and let me teach you. Keep it really simple. And you will grow, I promise you, you will grow spiritually um, more than you think. Now, let's have a look in verse 36. Now, when they left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was. And other little boats were also with him. Now, one thing is this. If you desire to go further in your spiritual walk and trust in God, you're going to have to leave some of the multitudes behind. Okay? Unfortunate, but there's a multitude of Christians, who, professing Christians who just don't believe and they will not go along with you and they will not uh, encourage you and edify you. The disciples here had left the multitude. And I'll say there's multitude of Christians who have left Christ. There's a multitude of professing Christians who have left the truth of the word of God and fallen for the lie. And I don't take any delight in any of this, but it's just a fact. I was listening to the Archbishop of our state church, completely fallen for the lie, and he's taken loads of people with him. Complete disobedience. And that is, unfortunately, the multitude. The cost of discipleship has been stated by Jesus. Let's have a look in Luke chapter 9. Again, we mustn't be shocked or surprised by this. It says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 that there will be an apostasy, a great falling away of revealed truth. So we're not shocked by any of this. Now, Luke chapter 9, look in verse 57. Now, it happened, verse 57, as they journeyed on the road, notice it's a journey again, that someone said to Jesus, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. Has anyone ever said this? Oh, okay, it's gone very quiet. Did you do it? 58. Jesus responds and says, Foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. There's nothing completely permanent in this life. Then he said to another, Follow me. That's the instruction. Very simple. But he said, Lord... Let me first go and bury my father. Notice there's a but, but. And Jesus said to him this, these are strong words. Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. Let the dead bury their own dead. Let those who are spiritually dead deal with those who are spiritually dead. And physically dead. 
You have to move on. It's like an army in battle, loads have fallen. It's a reality, people die. But you have to keep going forward. Jesus said, you need to go and preach, you need to go and proclaim. I've called you. I think it's very important that we realize as Christians that we've been called to proclaim the good news. That's your calling. Okay? God's will for your life is your sanctification, but this is your job. Not the, just the preacher's job. That's why Christ has called you. He's given us ways how to live and everything else. We understand that. But your primary calling now from Christ is to proclaim the good news. That should be on our minds and our hearts. The first thing that we wake up, is it? I don't know. Is, is it on your mind continuously? That's a good thing. Let it go on in your mind. Be thinking about the gospel all the time. And another also said, verse 61, Lord, I will follow you, but. Here comes the other but. There's several buts, okay? Let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. And this all seems reasonable. But Jesus said to him, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Jesus is telling you to go. You go now. You get the urgency he's putting on here. No one looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. When you've come in to the knowledge of God and you've made the decision to follow Jesus, there's no turning back. It's absolutely disastrous and dangerous to do that. We've already made our commitment. It's onward Christian soldier from then on, you see? Now, you remember the story of Sodom. You remember the story of Sodom? The angels come in. And they free Lot from this place. Of, you know, the story of Sodom and Gomorrah in Genesis chapter 19. The instruction was not to look back. You remember? Lot didn't look back and he survived. However, his wife looked back and she, she perished. It was a clear instruction not to do this. And Jesus is saying a similar thing. No one having put his hand to the plow. There's work to be done. Okay. If anyone looking back, those are not fit for the kingdom of God. And I think one of the dangerous things is this. This is my own opinion. Disagree and still get to heaven. I don't believe in once saved, always saved. I know several of you who believe that. I don't believe that. I think you're saved and you have a saving faith in Christ. But you have to go on. Everything is in the Present continuous tense. You have to carry on believing. You have to carry on being faithful. You have to follow him. Can you lose your salvation? No. But can you walk away from it? Yes. And several people have walked away from their salvation. And I, and I know it's the Calvinists that say, well, they were never saved in the first place. Nonsense. Absolutely not. Don't believe it. And the danger of this is that those people who put their hand to plow say, it doesn't matter if I turn back. I'll be all right. Once saved, always saved. I'm okay, Jack. I'll be all right. Really? I think that goes completely contrary to the word of God and the essence of what Jesus taught. Jesus said, he who endures to the end shall be saved. I look forward to the YouTube messages. The normal Christian life is a spirit-filled, spirit-led life. There's nothing normal about it, is it? There's nothing normal about the Christian life. It's supernatural. 
I think it's super exciting, personally. I think it's nothing more exciting than I've ever done in my entire life, and I've done some exciting things. Um, nothing more exciting to be called by the king of the universe, the maker of heaven and earth, and to also be shown so many things, not only in the supernatural, but how that manifests in the world, how the Lord has experienced the world himself, and he can relate to us. That's mind-boggling, isn't it? I mean, how's it been since your Christian walk? Things that you've experienced, I mean, why would you want to turn back? There's a challenge. We all know there's challenges. However, it's an exciting life. It's a fulfilling life. It's the one thing that man is looking continuously to fulfill that gap in his life. There is a gap. There's a hole in man. It's called Jesus Christ. Amen? And that's what people are looking for. Now, I've been speaking with a, a guy at the gym, a complete geezer, and I really like him, okay? And we've been praying for him. We prayed for him yesterday. His name's Steve, right? I've been chatting to him a lot about this, and the other day he said this, well, I won't do the impression. He said, well, if I believe that Jesus is who he says this, then I've got to face all of my sin and judgment and everything else. You see? He's starting to come to a realization. The assumed position is that Jesus is alive, that the gospel is real. But the good news is what? That Christ come and took the sin of this man on himself and died in his place that he may have eternal life. Jesus paid it all. But Jesus said, come to me. Follow me. Be yoked with me. Let me teach you. He's even polite enough to say, do you mind if I teach you? Okay? Are we Every time we fall, we realize that we're not listening to the teacher. And he wants to teach us. Do you know why? Because he loves us. He want, God wants you to win. Okay? God is for you. He's not against you. Amen? Say hallelujah. Okay. <laughs> Because he is for you. Thank you. Truth from the mouth of babes. He is for you. Done about that one. He is for you. He's not coming down heavy on you. He's giving you tests that you may pass. The devil tempts you that you may fail. Christ gives you tests that you may pass, that you may go up the ladder spiritually, that you grow in maturity. And that you continue faithfully in that wonderful calling of Christ. This is wonderful. I have a father in heaven speaking to me, saying, come on, James, one more lap. Keep going, son. Was my wife would say, you've got this. You've got this. God is for you. He's not against you. He loves you. How much? So much that he sent his only son into the world to die for you, that you may have eternal life, that you won't perish. That's a wonderful gospel. That's a beautiful gospel. That's what love looks like. A man on the cross dying for the sins of the world. That's what love looks like. That's sacrificial. That's wonderful. That's the gospel. That's exciting. Amen? Verse 37. Let's move on. Because you lot keep talking. Verse 37 says, And a great storm arose, and the waves beat on the boat, so it was already filling. Now, this is no normal storm. It's a spiritual storm. That will be explained in a little while. Now, the reason why the storm arose is because the disciples were obedient. They had crossed over to the other side. They had 
left the multitudes behind and they'd set sail with the teacher, Jesus himself. And this will happen with you if we cross over into this new spiritual realm and that we set sail with Jesus and be obedient to him. You see, when you decide to follow the Lord, and as several of you have not, not committed Christians yet, but the Lord will get hold of you, I promise you. Okay. When you decide to follow Jesus and fully trust him, now, I'm talking about fully trust him. I don't mean you join a church, you become a member of a church, you get baptized, you get the badge, and you're done, and you get the lemon drizzle cake in the foyer. Okay? That's not church. That sounds like, well, disaster, doesn't it? If that is church and church alone. Okay? But if you decide to fully trust God, now you're going on this wonderful journey with him. Okay? However, the whole unseen realm, Paula and Vanessa, when you got baptized, the whole unseen realm witnessed what happens. Let's have a look in Luke chapter 15. Okay? This is what caused the storm when you decide to put your full trust in Jesus Christ. This causes the storm in your workplace, your family, everything else. You know that. Even in your own life, it will cause the storm. If you fully trust. If you don't, you ain't going to see much. Um, Luke chapter 15, verse 7, it says this. I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the 99 just persons who have no need to repent. The whole unseen is rejoicing when someone comes to Jesus and repents and turns from their ways unto the Lord, all of the heavens repent, uh, rejoice. But also, the supernatural unseen realm of the demonic is very aware. Turn with me to Acts chapter 19. I just want to show you just two examples. Because the heavens know what's going on and the demonic realm knows what's going on as well. You see, one man that always fascinates me is the Apostle Paul, who was completely on the wrong side. He was the persecutor of the church. He was the one bringing them in chains. He is the one uh, killing them and approving of those who killed them. And then the Lord literally knocks him off his horse. Okay, And he has that assumed position and realization of whom Jesus Christ is. And he couldn't believe it. I've been sinning against you. Jesus said, why are you fighting against me? He had no idea. Why are you persecuting me? So he is sold out. The Apostle Paul is completely sold out. Verse 11 of Acts 19, it says this. Now, God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul. Why? Because he can trust Paul. Because Paul has been yoked solidly with Jesus. So that even the handkerchief of the aprons were brought from the body to the sick, and the disease left them, and evil spirits went out of them. But then some of the traveling Jewish exorcists took it upon themselves to call on the name of the Lord Jesus over whom uh, had evil spirits, saying, we exorcise you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. So they're not real believers. They're just using Jesus, the name Jesus, as a mantra. How many people do that today? Oh, well, we heard Jesus does stuff, well, we use him as a mantra. Also, verse 14, there were seven sons of Sceva, 
a Jewish high, uh, chief priest, who did so. And the evil spirits answered and said this, okay? Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? Who are you? Jesus, they recognize. Paul, they acknowledge. But who are you lot coming in the unseen realm, thinking that you know anything? Well, the whole hell knew about the Apostle Paul, didn't they? They all knew about him. They recognized that he had authority. Why? Because he'd sold out. He'd put his full trust in God and he was being obedient to God and to the word of God. And all hell broke loose, you see? This is why the storm started to arise there in Galilee. Because the disciples said, well, I'm going all out for Jesus. And oh, the whole spiritual realm said, oh, now what are we going to do? We need to cause trouble. Ever had that in your life? When you're committed to Jesus, when you start to give the gospel to Jesus, all hell breaks loose. Everyone gets upset for no particular reason, apart from the demonic realm. How dare you challenge me and everything else? But with these disciples, literally, there's a storm coming. And they, who are you? Well, may I ask you the question, who are you? Are you recognized by the demonic realm? Have you had trouble in your life since you became a believer? If you have so, well, hallelujah, praise God, you are recognized. What a wonderful confirmation that you're doing something right. Amen? But this is why the storm arose. It's a confirmation. Now, verse 38 of Mark chapter 4. While all this is kicking off, for those who have committed to Jesus, this is what Jesus is doing. Verse 38. But Jesus was in the stern, asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him and they said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? It comes to blame game. Martha did the same thing. Martha's cooking them dinner. Mary's there, sat at the feet of Jesus. And she come out, do you not care that I'm doing all the cooking? Tell Mary. Then she starts ordering Jesus around. Do you remember that? Tell her what to do. Tell her to give me a hand. To Jesus, can you imagine that? But let me ask you, have you ever blamed God? Have you ever blamed God for something wrong in your life? We're getting a few nods. Thank you for being honest. But something goes wrong, we say, well, it must be God, okay? Let me just say this. Stop believing the devil. If you're hearing voices, either audibly or internally or however else, in your mind or thoughts, you have three options, it's either yourself, God, or the devil. Take your pick. Which one is it? If you want to find out which one it is and you want full assurance of which voice it is, read the word of God. How much he loves you. How much he is for you. How much he is cheering you on. That's the word you go with. Don't be governed by your emotions, thoughts, your um, assumptions on certain aspects in the Christian realm. Yeah. We get to get back to what does the word of God say and stick with that. But he cares for you. He loves you. So resist. Now, let's have a look at this. John chapter 14. By the way, this is an easy way to get deliverance, either in your mind, mentally, or spiritually, just by reading and washing yourself of the word of God. What does God say? 
I mean, it was Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. He had a man who came for deliverance in the 60s. Um, he kept going back and forth, back and forth to this doctor. And in the end, the doctor, Christian minister, said to him, why do you keep believing the devil trust in God? Then he got on a train and went off. Never spoke to him again. Trust in what God has said. Jesus says this, John 14, verse 1. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. The old translation says this, go on believing in God and go on believing in me. You've seen the things that I've do when I've been with you. You've seen what I've done. Why are you not believing? Again, it's the continuous present tense in the Greek. Keep believing, keep trusting, keep believing in my word. You see, when, when other things and traditions come along in the Christian um, realm, it makes God's word null and void. You start trusting in other things and ceremonies and patterns and everything else. God's not so much bothered by tradition, it's only when those traditions step on the toes of God, making his word null and void, as he said to the Pharisees. You have to get back to the word because it's the word that gives life. Amen? Now, verse 39 says... Now Jesus arose and he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. The Greek literally says this, be muzzled, be gagged. He's not talking to the storm, he's speaking to the demon that's causing the storm. It's exactly what the Greek is doing. If you follow the passage, the boat ends up in Gadara and you have the demon-possessed men of Gadara. And Jesus deals with it. See, God sees the whole picture. You just see a little part of it. Jesus is taking these disciples over to the other side. He's going to teach them the ministry of deliverance. You've got a man over there. He's demon-possessed. The demonic realm can't understand what's going on. They're, oh, no, panic stations. Let's cause a storm. It's rocked their boat quite literally. They turn around to their teacher, start accusing him. You don't even care about us. Jesus is saying once again, would you let me teach you? Will you hold in the storm and trust in me? Will you trust in God? Maybe when things kick off in your life, God is trying to show you something. Think about it in the moment. But what is God saying to me at this time? Why am I reacting this way? Why, why am I accusing God of something? What is God showing? Maybe he's asking me to slow down. Maybe he's asking me to trust him more, be in his word more. Maybe he's building me up. You see, God thinks in very different ways to us. And his ways are not our ways. But he's teaching you and training you. Amen? Now, verse 40, it says this. Why are you so fearful? How is it you have no faith? Turn with me to Psalm 56. We've been very patient. We're getting there. Psalm 56, verse 3 and 4, it says this. King David said, When I am afraid, I will put my trust in you. I will trust in you. In God, I will praise his word. 
God's already given his word. He's going to praise that. In God, I have put my trust. Past tense. I've already put my trust in him. He's fully sold out for God. I will not fear. What can flesh do to me, says David? Well, the worst thing that flesh can do is kill you. So what? Then what? You'll be present with Christ forevermore. Verse 12. Vows made to you are binding upon me, O God. This is a wonderful thing. He's yoked with God. I will render praises to you. Why? Why is he so sold out for God? For you have delivered my soul from death. You have delivered everything about me from death unto life. Have you not kept my feet from falling? May I walk before God in the light of the living. He recognizes God as his Savior. He's put his full trust in him. What does man put his trust in today? What has man put his trust in? The Bible is saying, trust in God. Trust in God is a repeated phrase. The cure for fear is faith. Trusting in God. Now, to conclude, let's have a look. Verse 41. And I turned into a Bible study. That's okay. Verse 41, it says this. This is the reaction after Jesus calms the storm. And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, Who can this be that even the wind and sea obey him? Who can this person be? You see, the disciples have now experienced truly the fear of the Lord. Why are they so fearful? Because even creation is obeying him. All of creation, the wind, the sea, the demonic realm, are all under the authority of God and fear has come upon them. Exceeding fear has come upon them. Now I want us to turn to Matthew 10. This is really our last passage. Now, Matthew chapter 10, verse 27. Okay? Now, Jesus is going to be teaching about the fear of God. Okay? Now, I want to say this when it comes to the fear of the Lord. You, not, you may not feel that, the fear of the Lord. Okay? But the fear of the Lord is a choice. You can choose to fear God, be in awe of God, or not. You get to make a choice, okay? Now, it says in Proverbs, just make a note of this. Proverbs chapter 1 says this, verse 29. Because, there's judgment coming on, because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. They chose to ignore the fear of the Lord, and then judgment is coming on them. They refused the knowledge, 
They accept, okay, well, this is what God has said, but I'm going to refuse it, and I'm going to choose not to fear God, is what the people were saying there. And because they hated it, they chose and did not choose to fear. You have to choose. You have to make a choice. Now, God has laid down what he's going to do in his word. Now, God is a judge and is a righteous judge, and he is going to judge the living and the dead. The word of God declares it. And you need to make a judgment in your life. What am I going to do about this? Yes, God is loving. Yes, God sent his son. Yes, God has best intentions for you. But he's a God of justice. And a just judge must judge rightly. If he's going to judge this person, he's going to have to judge you on the same. He's offered a salvation plan, but if you reject the knowledge, he's still going to have to judge you. You see what I mean? You may agree or disagree with the judge, but you're still going to get judged. And God has already said in his word how he's going to judge you and what it's going to look like. Now, a few years back, there was a man in Thailand. He was on Facebook. And he spoke against the king of Thailand. Okay? You speak against the king of Thailand, you go into prison for a long time. Everyone in Thailand knows that. Everyone respects it. Everyone is fearful of that fact. The guy had been warned not to go on Facebook and do it. The guy went on Facebook and spoke against the king of Thailand. The guy was arrested and sentenced to prison for 35 years. He'd been warned. You may not like the judgment. You may think it's too harsh. But you're not the king of Thailand, are you? And as we're sat here this morning, he sat in a Thai prison. He'd been warned. And Jesus is saying this. Look carefully. Matthew 10, verse 27. Whatever I tell you in the dark, speak in the light. And what you hear in the ear, preach on the rooftops. And do not fear those who can kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. But rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Jesus is telling you to fear God. Because God is right and is just and is going to judge. We've all been warned. I know Christianity is sometimes looked as a pansy religion and sometimes treated by followers of it as a pansy religion. Well, when I look at religions like Judaism or Islam or Hinduism, that does not fear me. The God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob is the one I'm fearful of. And there's so many Christians who are poncing about in their Christian walk thinking it's all love and biscuits and God's just going to forgive us in the end and it's all nicey-nicey Christianity. Jesus is saying, fear God. Do not fear the man who's going to kill your body, but fear, fear the one who can throw both body and soul in hell. Now, you may not like what God has done in your life. You may not like where some of the people in your life have gone. But he's not going to change, and you've been warned. And Jesus, the Son of God, who came to die in your place, is warning you. If you do not change your ways, you do not trust in God, you will be judged by God. And he's laid everything down. Do you know what it is? It's all grace. He's saying, this is all grace. I've done it all for you. Come to me. This is your escape. This is your salvation plan. Follow me, trust in me, learn from me. I am the teacher, you're not. You're even hardly students. 
But he's saying, I am the salvation. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one is coming to the Father except by judgment through him. He is saying, fear God. Fear God. And us Christians need to learn that fear of the Lord again. How do we do it? By choosing. Many choose not to follow or fear the Lord. They don't choose it. They say, no, me first, me, myself, and I. I'm going to do what I like. And I'm talking about the Christians because judgment begins in the house of the Lord. And we're high time that we start paying attention in our Christian walk, me included, of the fear of the Lord because he is just. You think anything going on in the Middle East is above his understanding and judgment? You're wrong. Won't the judge of all the earth do right? Yes, he will. And do you know how he's going to do it? By his word. He said what he meant and he meant what he said. We need to get back to that. And the summary is this. I'm going to finish with this. Well, let's have a look. Let's try and end it on a higher note. Let's have a Verse 29 says, Are two sparrows sold for a copper coin? And not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will. Nothing happens without God allowing it. But the very hairs on your head are numbered. Do not fear, therefore, for you are more valuable than sparrows in Christ. Outside of Christ, you're in a dangerous position. In Christ, you have everything, eternal life and glory. Outside, you're in a dark and dangerous place. The summary is this. The Christian life is a journey. And man is trying to cheapen that journey, trying to water down the gospel and trying to make Christianity look silly and ridiculous. And I must admit, it is looking silly and ridiculous in many of the churches I look at because they're not preaching the fear of the Lord and judgment. They're blind leaders of the blind and both will fall in a ditch. There's storms, they're going to come, but Jesus is with you in the boat. You understand? Jesus is saying, trust me, trust God, take me at my word, take me at my word. No more playing around. He's saying, trust in God, trust in me also, he's saying. Believe what is written, and you can't change what's gone in the past. You cannot do anything about it, but you can do something about your own life, about your own salvation and your own Christian walk, beginning today. Will you trust God? Will you take him at his word? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that your word is holy and your word never changes. And your word declares that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And Lord, we beheld his glory. And Lord, we thank you for Jesus, our Savior. How else could we know about you and your character and the love that you have for us? And that your son hung on the cross for us and died for us. Our Lord, we are all fallen short of the glory of God. All have sinned and fallen astray. But Lord, you have turned us back unto yourself. May we take you more seriously, God. May we hear in the Spirit, come to me. Be yoked with me. Let me teach you. Lord, become the teacher of our lives. And Lord, may we advance in our spiritual understanding and in our lives. May we honour you. 
May we proclaim your praises with our lips. And we ask this in the Saviour's name. Amen. Let's stand. Let's stand.